Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence, a conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Back in 1922, Sam Ways started a business in Detroit called Bell Tire. Now nearly a century later, my guest is Don Barnes III, who is doing a wonderful job of carrying on the family's tradition of offering the lowest tire prices in the business, along with a variety of automotive repair services. In this interview, Don will explain the origin of the company's name and the belief system that have helped Bell Tire grow and keep growing while maintaining its unique culture. Don is also just a good guy, and all those things combined made for a really enjoyable conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Please meet Don. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, the origins of Bell Tire. So Bell Tire was founded in 1922 uh, by Sam Ways. He, uh, he founded it and named the company after his wife, Bell. So you can, you know, when you see the spelling with the yep. at the end, that's because uh, it was the founder's wife named it after, named it after her, Bell, and, and away we went. So uh, Sam ran it. It was just a single store um, kind of at the corner of Grand River, Wyoming in downtown Detroit. And um, that business it was, um, was able to expand from a single store in 1922 to four stores. Um, all but the, the, the original store were, were closed during the Great Depression. Uh, the single Bell Tire store, the original one, was able to kind of survive the Great Depression and uh, became a single store. And it just was, was its own standalone store. Sam being, uh, you know, having the, the Great Depression um, and, and really everyone kind of hurt businesses. He was really scared to grow beyond that single store um, with the fear of, you know, having a, another second depression or, or things like that. So it was a single store. He was able to go up to four, but then had a close three and, and kept it a single store, um, you know, until he retired. His son, Herb, um, took over the single store and, um, you know, and was selling tires. My grandfather, Donald Sr., Don Barnes Sr., was a tire salesman for Kelly Springfield. Lived in Birmingham, would leave on a Monday, and would kind of travel around, uh, coming home Friday, calling on different uh, tire dealers in, in his area. And with Bell Tire being in his backyard, developed a great friendship with Herb Ways, and ended up buying half of the business, uh, which was, again, just one store uh, back in, in the early 60s. And him and her um, ran the business together until 67. There was a, uh, um, uh, some uh, kind of family tragedy in, uh, in Herb's family that, um, you know, had, had, uh, had to take Herb away from, uh, from the business for a little while. Uh, and then eventually my grandfather kind of bought him out um, in, in the 70s in, the, in kind of Great. a graduate. That, that that tragedy have anything to do with Detroit riots 1967 or just no just no okay. no it was completely different okay. it was um uh Herb uh Herb had 18 year old son who had finished high school was going to go to going to go to college uh he wanted to go to Europe backpack through Europe um Herb's wife didn't want him to go thought it was too dangerous Herb said hey let him go it'll be fine goes to Europe um, and gets lost in the Mediterranean Sea and dies. Oh, I'm so And sorry. so um, with Herb's wife saying, don't go, Herb saying go, um, that ruined their relationship. They ended up you know, divorcing. Uh, Herb kept flying back to Europe, trying to find out what would happen with the son. And, uh, and that's what kind of caused the transaction for him to say, you know what, I, I, I just can't do this any longer. So that's uh, unfortunately, and that's how we ended up, um, you know, acquiring kind of the full equity full of uh, full control of Bell Tire. And then my grandfather took it from, you know, one store um, to, I would say, it, it, it depends on who you ask in the time, right? Because my, my father, Don Jr., and my uncle, Bob Barnes, you know, they came into the business. And, and just with anything, there's always kind of a graduated phase in, phase out of kind of an old regime to new regime. Uh -huh. So they kind of took it over from call it a dozen stores or so, um, and they ran they ran the business um, until they about seventy five stores, 
and uh, they've they've been retired for the last um, thirteen years now. And and since then we've had uh, kind of a professional management team run the business, and you know we've uh, we've kind of again taken it from 70, 75 stores. It's all about the phase in, phase out approach sure. of, of kind of what it is. And we got one hundred twenty six stores now, um, you know, throughout Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, with uh, four under construction. And um, our goal is to continue to build, um, you know, twenty stores a year uh, with our next with our next uh, uh, major market being Chicagoland, which will break ground um, in probably about the next six to nine months. We were supposed to break ground in, in South Chicago in the Chicagoland area this fall, but with COVID happening, we decided to postpone it. Yeah, just pu- just push it back six to nine months uh, and kind of let to see kind of what, uh, what everything, you know, comes back with. What, so what's your first memory of the business being dragged somewhere, Hearing it at home, like what, your first exposure. You know, yes, yeah, so it's kind of all of that. So you know, I remember, um, you know, when I was a little kid, going to going to the office with my dad. I was probably four or five years old, mm-hmm. um, picking up paper clips in the office, or you know, going into the going into the distribution center and and, and pushing a broom, doing something, right? You know, to try to keep busy. So um, I, I really don't have a memory where I didn't have bell tire um, somehow intertwined in, you know, my life, my family, uh, you know, we would, you know, whether it be in the summer, summertime or on the, on the weekends, you know, our uh, grandfather's had a pool. So we'd go over and, and go swimming. And so even as a kid, when you're doing fun things like going swimming, um, you know, tires was always kind of a part of a part of the conversation uh, and didn't know any better. I right? just figured, Hey, that's what, right. that's what you talk about in the summer. You talk right. tires, you talk cars. So, so, and, and yeah. were, were you always th- thinking about going into this family business, charted to do that? Did you pursue other things? I'm really interested in kind of that, you know, plan A, plan B, even plan C yeah. that people have or had or executed. So, ever since I was a little kid, um, I knew I'd w- I wanted to go into business. Okay. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, you know, my grandfather, father, uncle, um, they were encouraging, but never forceful. It was never, uh, you have to go into the business. You have to do that. It was, Hey, you know, we have this business here. Um, if you, you know, want to come into it, you know, that's good. And we would like that, but there are certain requirements that you have to do in order to be eligible to come in and, and, and participate at different levels. So, um, I was always fascinated about our company. Always loved, uh, always loved listening to, you know, my grandfather and, and, and father and uncle just kind of talk shop. Um, and I just was fascinated with, you know, it was, it, they were always working on just how to get a little bit better. And so yeah, you know, listening to, okay, well, how do we do this better? How do we do that? It, it was, it was very fascinating to me because, um, it, there was never any sense of complacency. It was always about how do we keep tweaking this machine? How do we keep getting better? And then, you know, being able to, um, you know, hear stories about how we get to help people and how we take care of customers. Right. It, it was it was you know selfishly rewarding is that we get to be in a business that helps people we get to be in a business that um, you know can literally be the the, the positive change for that day um, and and today you know I talk about how guys we have the opportunity every day to wear the red cape uh, and be Superman for people mm-hmm. people are coming to us because they have a problem and we get the opportunity to solve their problem. And we get the opportunity to make their day better. We get to be that point in time that does that. Now it's our opportunity, and it's for us to decide whether we do it or we don't. So, or deliver on it. Yeah. Or we deliver on it. It's interesting. So, we talk a lot about our people being wired as being problem solvers. It's maybe a step removed because we're serving clients who then serve consumers. But mm-hmm. is there, you know, going back to your grandfather or even to the Ways family, are there some, is there, are there some phrases or some things that 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 to carry on. I mean, I see you have this old cash register behind you, but what are sort of the like motto from the founding days that still sort of lives and that, that either you re- retell or that stays in front of you? You know, we have, um, I think we have a, a pretty strong culture. Um, we have um, really kind of five core values on, and really just our okay. belief system. And, you know, we share these with everybody, you know, when we, when we hire new people, we onboard them. Um, the focus on the onboarding isn't about tires and auto repair and fixing cars. 
Um, those are table stakes, really. It's more about this is our belief system, this is what we stand for, and this is how we go about changing tires and, and fixing cars. And, and the belief system is always a, about if we, if we follow this belief system, then our decision making will be really easy. It doesn't mean we'll always make the right decision, but if we follow and use this as our North Star and kind of how we use it to go, go about making decision making, then we will, the, the process of making the decision is the best. We might always have the desired outcome. And, um, and so that's what we do. So, you know, we have these, you know, belief cards that everyone, you know, carries in their, in their pocket. Um, and, and the first, the first um, belief is customer satisfaction is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and that just, that just doesn't always, that just doesn't apply to the external customers that are coming in and buying, you know, buying goods and service from us, but for our internal customers, our employees. And so, you know, it, it's always looking at it through the lens of um, these, these belief system isn't just externally facing, it's also internally facing on, on what we do. And so the second, the second belief system is just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, what's the right thing? I don't know. What's the situation, right? And so, you know, knowing that every situation is going to be unique by nature is just focus on doing the right thing. You know, it's the, it's the age old, you, we all grow up, but the, the golden rule, right? Yep. Uh, do unto others as we'd like to do unto us. So, you know, if, if we all focus on doing the right thing, then we'll make the right decision. Again, may not always have the desired outcome, but using, you know, that second belief system as a way of the decision-making process, we'll know we'll do, you know, uh, more than right. The third is set the tone. And, you know, the, you know, that belief is we're always setting the tone, right? Whether it be good or bad. So let's set the positive tone. And, and really the, the one that kind of follows that is we got to walk the walk. So it's easy to say things, to do things. And as parents, sometimes, you know, we tell our kids, hey, just because I said so, all right? Just do it because <laughs> I said so because I don't want to explain it or do it. But then maybe we don't always follow our own rules. And so, you know, what's important to us is that no one's, no one's above anything. No one's above any type of job. Um, and that if, you know, if anyone asks me to do something, we better be prepared to do it ourselves. So really setting the tone and walking the walk are really important to us because it shows that, you know, we are all functional leaders and that's important to us. And that, um, you know, we as leaders got to lead in the front, not in the back. And, and, and that's something that, as companies grow and grow, it's easy to live up in the glass palace and believe your own BS and think that you yeah. know it all better. Um, but if you're not setting the tone and if you're not, you know, you know, with your people and understanding and listening and creating an environment to where ideas can be shared and collaborative on, um, then it's just not gonna, it's just not going to work. And, and then the last one, but certainly not least, is we are they. And you know, that's uh, that's. I mean, they're all really important. I love them all. And anytime I want to say, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite, but they're all my favorite. But the, uh, this one does have a special place in my heart uh, because it really just shows and solidifies the team, right? It's, it doesn't matter, you know, what area of the business you're working on. We're all in it together. And the only way that Valve Tire can succeed is if, you know, all 126 stores are working together. And then the people in our support center, Ellen Park, are, are, are working well. We're all working harmoniously together um, and not, and not, you know, choosing words that have, you know, I am a big believer that words have meanings and that we got to be careful of the words we choose because we could have unintended consequences for choosing words that have certain meanings that we don't intend. Sure. And the biggest one, um, you know, that, that I always like to talk is, is the whole, we are, they one because, Oh, well, they, this, they, that, they I, won't I, let me. I love that. I've, I come across groups, even in our smaller business, when you hear people going, they, this, and they, that, and you go, who's they, who's they, who's they? they? So, we're, you're they, we're exactly. they. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the reason why this has a special place in my heart is, um, what you just re- was describing, Jamie, what was happening 20 years ago. And, um, uh, my father, you know, kind of had the same thing was like, okay, I'm tired of they, you know, screwing things up, getting in their way. And he, and he grabbed this gentleman and he goes, listen, we're going to go find they, and we're going to go kick they's ass. <laughs> so he walked this guy around the whole office. Hey, do you know where they is? Cause we're looking for they, they keep telling us, no, they That's keep in our way and we're done with this. We're kicking they's ass. And so it was, a, you know, obviously, a, you know, um, exaggerating for emphasis, but the whole point is, is that, if, if you, if people start saying they, 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 then it creates 
this fictitious person that they won't let us do it. Well, really, it's just a mental obstacle or mental hurdle that we have to come over uh, and know that it's we. We as a team get to solve any problems. We as a team can figure it out. Um, and we as a team get to decide whether we want to blame they or, or, or blame us. Because, any, you know, I, anytime someone points a finger, there's three point, fingers pointing back at yourself. So, sure. um, you know, we really try to lead the team with humility uh, in the stores or here in Elm Park. Um, and again, just focus on the, 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 the beliefs that we have. Customer satisfaction is bottom line. Do the right thing. Set the tone. We are they walk to walk. I mean, they're very, they're very simple beliefs and very simple principles that don't just apply to how we ha uh, handle our customers, but if you live your life that way, uh, it's going to be very, very nice and enjoying and desirable. Um, and uh, I, I think we'll continue to you know, lead our company to great. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that because I'm a big believer in, in culture and, and, and how it drives an organization, but also, like you said, living it. So when, when, when were those codified so tightly and put onto – those cars. So that was that, done, does that go way back or is no, that? No, so I mean, we, we, uh, um, we had a part of our leadership team or most of our leadership team kind of retired um, six, seven, eight years ago. And, and before, before they retired, you know, I've had the benefit of growing up in the business and hearing, you know, all of these sayings and stories right. my whole life. And, and one of the things that uh, really helped us was, the, the ability to kind of share and tell these stories sure. um, amongst other managers, regional managers, people, people in, in the office, um, to have them understand why is it we do things a certain way and, and why do we do one versus the other. And, but it was a very informal process. It was almost like true, you know, sitting around, you know, campfires, you know, telling stories per se. And, and as you do that, you know, you kind of you get the telephone effect. So maybe part of the story gets diluted or it gets evolved or changed. And, and what I wanted to do was really take the, the essence of our company, the culture of our company, write it down, formalize it, memorialize right. it so that we wouldn't dilute any of these things. So we, we went through this about five years ago um, and, uh, and, and had a, an agency kind of help us um, do all these things. And one of the things that they, that, you know, they thought was unique to us was how we go about sharing our culture through storytelling. That's great. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, you know, that's who, how we kind of built it. Who did you do that work with? Who helped guide that? Do you recall? Um, that was, um, I forgot you put me on the spot. Now, were they a company out of Toledo by any chance? No, they were in Detroit. They were a smaller boutique company. They had helped some other, um, larger companies that are more prominent in the Detroit area on culture. Sure. I'm writing kind of their books. I forget the. I, uh, I just asked because I, I had gone to a conference a few years ago and the theme of it, family businesses was yeah. values based businesses are valuable businesses. Mm -hmm. And as you learned, companies don't, you know, I mean, startups today do a lot of things differently than in the twenties and even into the thirties, sixties, they're just working. They're just trying to, they're trying to make that tire store go. They're not going right what are our graphics going to be on the wall with our value statements? These, that didn't exist as much, but at some point you have them and they're unique to you and you try to get them down and capture right. them and you did it well. So knowing that we were, you know, we had a, a pretty uh, aggressive growth strategy, uh, knowing that we were going into markets that had never heard of Bell Tire. Sure. Weren't familiar with, with Tire Man, weren't familiar with their name. You know, when we, that we hallway went, gets long. Yeah. Yeah. And when we went to South Bend uh, four years ago, five years, five years ago, uh, and we had, you know, just while we were under construction, we had the sign of the ground. People thought we were belly tired. And so it was, it was good that we went through that because, you know, knowing that we were going to grow and, and hire and train and, you know, br and bring on and on board, you know, uh, so many, you know, future belt tire teammates, it was, we got to have a strong process on how to, really infuse the bell tire culture. And we can't wait time. We can't wait for 20 years for it to happen. No. It's how do we take 20 years of culture and infuse it in a very short period of time and develop a process to do that. So um, that was one of the, the, the core things is as we were looking for, uh, for expansion was, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, what are the things that we need to do that's really going to allow us to grow the right way? And, and what I mean by that is, 
if we wanted to plant as many flags in the ground as we can and just, you know, build a bunch of stores and, and try to chase a certain number, we could have in, you know, we could have well more than 200 stores. Uh, the limiting factor isn't cap, the limiting factor isn't property. The, the limiting factor is really is how fast can we grow, how can we recruit, train, and belt tireize people because we know the differentiator in a business isn't our building, isn't the tires, isn't the service, it's the people inside people their component. Yep. And, and it's the process of how we take care of customers and we don't want to grow and dilute the experience that everyone in Michigan and Ohio and in parts of Indiana have experiences. We want to keep that model as tight as can be and just replicate it um, in, in, in a lot more places. So there's been a lot of emphasis uh, over the last, you know, like I said, five, six, seven, eight years on, on um, you know, our culture, on human resources, on training, on really making sure that that part of the infrastructure that at times in, in businesses may be overlooked is, was really built strong because we knew that our differentiating factor, which every company said, oh, the, my, the differentiator about my business might be. Oh, right. Okay. Well, why? And so, again, the reason why we believe that our people are better is because we do have a tight process. We can, uh, we do have a better interview process. We do, you know, we focus in hiring not so much on just always technical abilities. Obviously, technical ability, you, you know, you got to be um, efficient in that. But, you know, is someone, do we believe that someone's going to be able to leave, you know, um, live these culture, live this type of culture and believe in it? If someone's really good at the job, but isn't going to be someone that we think is going to support and be part of the culture, then that's just going to be counterproductive and, and, and more times do more harm than good. So um, we know that our, our people are our differentiator and, and we're going to grow as fast as I'll say our people will allow us to grow. That's great. And so as you think about, you know, kind of future planning, you know, you're just a couple of years from the hundredth, right? I mean, yeah. what, what, anything that you're envisioning or thinking about for that? Cause that's a great milestone uh, for, and, and, and glad that it's probably not this year uh, yeah. <laughs> when you get a little time to, to, to world recovery. What, um, what are you thinking about kind of for the future beyond just the unit growth and that focus on the people, anything else kind of in the future and the future you visioning know, we're, plan? We're really excited for our hundredth year anniversary. Um, it, it's a, a really big milestone. You know, most companies, you know, never get to, you know, that mark, let alone maybe sure. half that mark, that fifth year mark. So, you know, to be able to celebrate our, our hundredth birthday uh, is going to be a marvelous year. Uh, you know, we've had some preliminary talks and discussions on kind of what we want to do for that year, but it's going to be, um, it's not just going to be a birthday. I mean, it, we're, it's going to be a celebration. Yeah, a year of celebration. Uh, yeah. Of year, yeah. So we'll celebrate a hundred years uh, throughout the course of the year with, different fun things, uh, rewarding our customers, rewarding our employees, or re rewarding the communities that we're going to be in. So we're, we're really excited to tackle this project. Um, one, because it allows us to, again, get back to our customers, our communities, our employees, celebrate uh, a huge milestone with 100 years. Um, but with that, just keep going. I mean, the only thing, the only thing that's good about, you know, being 100 years old is that you're halfway to 200. So you know, I look at my job and, and our other team's job is, okay, what do we have to do to continue to build this company so it's going, so it continues into perpetuity so we can celebrate 200 years. And, and to me, that's, that's the test of, of, of how strong a company is and how strong the culture is, is can, can leadership and, and, and different people uh, step away and have the machine keep going up. Right. And, uh, um, you know, it's fun being part of and, and helping build something much bigger than you and, and seeing that continue to grow and grow and grow and, and see more people continue to develop and, and, and take on more responsibility and, and grow from, you know, from changing a tire to you know, being a tire tech to now running, um, you know, several different regions across different States. I mean, it's cool. No, it's, um, it is joyous to watch those people, grow. Yeah. people progress. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, it, you know, as you, I, I love that idea of, halfway to 200 how much in your visioning are you because you're connected to you know what has been what is going through rapid change autonomous vehicles possibly electrification of vehicles ride share all of those things that are happening in automotive and you're attached to that what how much are you talking about all that and trying to figure what that does to your your retail business your distribution you know to your to your operation 
Yeah, so we talk about that, um, you know, quite a bit, whether it be at our um, quarterly board meetings or whether it be at uh, different leadership meetings that we have. And, and it's always a fine balance. I mean, you have the, I'll call it the sexiness of autonomous driving and autonomous mm-hmm. vehicles. At the same time, um, there's much more that needs to be developed from a techno- uh, technology standpoint, just from a pure infrastructure standpoint, how that works. So um, we're monitoring, watching this very closely, but at the same time, we know that we got a business to run today and that there are, you know, several vehicles on the road that, um, you know, require humans to be behind the wheel, driving and making sure it gets from, you know, point A to point B safely. Uh, and we're going to continue to service those customers at the same time. Um, you know, we, we think and, and try to be as progressive as we can, but without, without it being chasing the shiny object. And so sure. there's, there's a fine balance strategically on, uh, how do we go and make sure we hit our short-term results while also keeping an eye out the horizon on making sure that you were, we're setting ourselves up for kind of the next step change or, or the next big thing that's coming uh, in order to anticipate it. And, and strategically, it's a, um, it's a decision that we have to make is do we want to be kind of a first to market or do we want to be a fast follower uh, in terms of as, as things, as more and more things come happen. But uh, from a rideshare standpoint, we have very strategic relationships with Uber and Lyft. Um, you, you know, we are really, we're the only regional um, tired automotive service company in, uh, in the United States where we're their preferred oh, great. Um, right. provider in, in Michigan and Indiana. So we have great relationships with, uh, with Uber and Lyft and a few other rideshare companies, uh, as well as other rental car companies that are trying to get in the space. Uh, and we tried to position, you know, different board members to uh, give us different insights on um, what's going on with OEMs, what's going on with autonomous, what's going on with, um, you know, different types of providers like a Google who have Waymo and, and other types of providers mm-hmm. that may be getting into a space that you wouldn't traditionally think about. So, you know, we, again, from an infrastructure standpoint, we, we try to make sure that we have um, the talented advisors. Um, while also making sure we have the right uh, business operations going out in our stores to be able to uh, take care of our customers because what's going to allow us to get to 200 years, to get to 500 stores, to be able to handle autonomous vehicles is by delivering on our, on our, our same store sales and taking care of our customers and taking care of our employees. So it's, it's, a, it's a fine balance that we have to have, to have but it's, that's what makes you know, the job fun. That's what makes business so fun. Yeah, that's right. It's not... Well, it, you mentioned the horizon. So, I mean, yes, we're, we're, we're talking as we're working in a remote way and in, in the middle of or wherever we are in a pandemic, but any other threats kind of on the horizon that you're not losing sleep over, but that you're thinking about or you're talking about in those board sessions or is, is with your leadership team? Yeah, so the, uh, it's a great question. The, really what's been happening more and more over the last decade has been um, – just a consolidation in our industry. Yeah. So our industry has really only had, I'll call it maybe a handful of national players. And it was, it was um, you know, very, uh, very fragmented. Um, our industry is very fragmented and you have a lot of regional to semi-regional players. Um, all, you know, most of the ownership of these regional uh, players are, are baby boomers. So they're all private. These companies are all privately held. Baby boomers are, are the owners of these businesses. So, you know, they're ranging anywhere from call it 60 to 80 years oldish. And, and a lot of these individuals have created, you know, vast amount of wealth and value in these companies and, but don't always have the best succession planning. Don't always have kind of, okay, what do I do with it? And so um, private equity has been uh, a big player in a space and you see a lot of consolidating going on. Um, both on small levels where you have companies buying one or two stores and you have other companies that are buying, um, you know, buying 150 store chains as well. So, you know, we look at, we saw this about 10 years ago and said, okay, we don't, we want to, we want to do part of the consolidating and grow. We don't want to be consolidated. And so yeah. that's kind of what started the, what, what do we have to do in order to expand uh, rapidly? What type of infrastructure we need? Where do we need to, um, you know, invest resources and capital in order to kind of have that next big step change. Because where, where I saw us, I think we're out of it now, but where I saw us is we went from being a really big, small company to being a small, big company. And, and, and that doesn't, it's not just, it's not bureaucracy, but it's more of a, um, when you're a smaller company, 
Um, it's very entrepreneurial. It's more of, hey, just like you said about startup, we just got to go and sell stuff, make things happen. And, and you can do that up to a point to where um, once you have more and more people just working without, without maybe clear direction or strategy, you could then start losing productivity and, and, and complacency. So we went from, I'll say, just working hard to now working smart and working through process, working through best practice. Because we know that if we can, you know, be more efficient, drive waste out of our business, we can reinvest those dollars uh, in and pay more, save more, open new stores, whatever it may be. And so, um, you know, that was kind of the, I'll say the biggest thing culturally that we had to go through the last five years was, I'll say, um, uh, leading with just working hard, getting her done to now, you know, working through process and, and process in a four-letter word. Yeah, right. yeah system. It's, it's not, hey, you can only do it this way, but the more we act through process, uh, it, it will allow us to deviate off of the path, but it will get us back to the path, to, you know, a lot quicker. Too. And main, so, maintain that specialness when you were smaller yeah. and nimble, and it's right. the, the balancing beam of that. I, I, I mean, why I'm doing this podcast is the fascination of businesses that go over time and deal with all that, and then you add the family dynamics to yeah. it, and uh, just learning from it, and have others be able to listen and hopefully learn learn from it. And uh, I mean, I'm borrowing your phrase: we don't want to be consolidated because that's I mean that's certainly the, the agency industry forever, and I don't yeah. wish that to happen. They they approach us and all. So and, uh, and, and if you were, that's that's okay too. But I'm sure you'd rather do it on your terms. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. 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 So, you know, being in Michigan, um, you know, we're a peninsula. And so we wanted to make sure that as we, we grew south to allow more flexibility because if the company came in underneath us, it'd be a lot harder just to jump over. We wanted to make sure that we had kind of contiguous uh, geography. So um, as we saw the consolidation going, started going on in the industry, so that we knew we had to grow south. And as we grew south, it'd give us more options on going west, east, further mm-hmm. south, all of the above. Uh, and that's kind of what we've, what we've been doing. So um, we've been really excited with what we've been able to do in, uh, in Indiana. Um, you know, historically, we would build maybe three, four, five stores a year. And uh, uh, we decided to, to double that. And we were able to grow to nine stores a year back in 2018. Uh, and then in 2019, we opened 20 stores. And, Great. you know, so we went from four, nine to 20. And, uh, you know, I say we opened 20 stores relatively easily. Don't get me wrong, it was a lot of work and it was the first time we've ever done it. But I say it was relatively easily because we really looked at the process of how we opened four stores and refined it to then allow us to open nine stores. And so to be able to kind of double the amount of stores that we've opened in two consecutive years, um, it was really more of a how do we keep refining the process? What, What can we learn from you know, go from opening four to nine that we can apply that, you know, that will work to scale to 20. And, and there were a lot of things that we learned. So when we opened four stores in South Bend in a five month period, uh, it was chaotic for us. We're opening, we're opening, you know, five stores in, you know, a month and a half. And it's a, you know, a whole hum, it's a whole hum right. Wednesday type thing. So that's great. There's, there's a, there's a lot that we've been able to learn and that, and that's what makes this, this process so much fun is that, um, you know, five years ago when we, when we opened South Bend, it was like, wow, look at us. And we knew we struggled. Now when we look back and see what we did, it's like, I can't believe we did it that way. It is, there's a parallel to almost, you know, working out or wherever where you get to the next level, it gets easier and then you get to yeah. the next level and there's a, that flywheel thing. Right. And, and then that feeds your whole distribution operation. Cause you right. have, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by scale and things that can scale, even though professional services businesses, that's very hard to do. But you watch client brands or other businesses do that. And, and how, how that, I mean, it's a, it's a popular trendy tech word, right? You know, what can, can scale and things that are ones and zeros, it's really easy to do and just put on more bandwidth and whatever. Right. But there's a lot of physical nature to, to what you're scaling. So you've talked about we and they for going at you for a second, which is your part of the we and the they. Uh, how do you yourself make decisions and evaluate things? How would you characterize how you do that? Well, the, the first thing I try to do is make sure I'm the dumbest guy in the room. Uh, and it's not that hard to do. So, uh, you know, I, I really, you know, we've always been uh, a company that has been 
really try to focus on collaboration and not collaboration that, you know, that's the buzzword. It's really more of um, wanting to make sure that we have an environment where people can share ideas and create these best practices. I mean, people, people that have come into our stores, we kind of look at like our retail stores almost as ER units. We don't know what's going to come in. And just because Jamie, you may have a break issue, the way that we've solved your break issue could be different than the guy next to you could be different the guy next to, to that person. So, you know, to, to say, Hey, here's a singular way to treat a gunshot wound. Yeah. It wouldn't work. So to have a singular way to treat a, a break, a uh, break issue wouldn't work. So our focus has always been about decentralizing decision-making, push everything down to the stores, but give them, I would I say the roadmap and the guardrails and best practices to operate efficiently and do what's best for the customers. But really, when you look back to the values, there's nothing of, it has nothing to do about sales and margin and units or anything that we do. It's all about helping people. Do these things. They're the end result versus things, right? the, yeah, so, motivated. So we completely decentralize the decision-making. Everyone in the stores from the store manager to the newest tire tech has full autonomy to take care of the customers and do whatever. I mean, no one's ever gotten in trouble for giving away a set of tires um, to solve someone's problem. Uh, now, we may... You know, if we did that, I may say, hey, maybe there are a few other things we could have done prior to that. <laughs> but if that's, tires that's what it takes, all right. Because in the long run, it's 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 not even a rounding here. Let's take care of our customers. Let's do the right thing. Let's set the tone with the customers. Let, let's let them know that customer satisfaction is the bottom line. Those are three things right there, three of the uh, five values that give away a set of tires. It's like you do it all day long. So the fact that we are able to do that um, – in our stores and do that here in the office, the decision-making and how, how I go about it is let's real, let's ask our, let's ask our team, right? Let's ask, let's ask the people that are in the trenches fighting the fight every day. So, you know, I like to spend time with our managers. I like to spend time in our stores. I like to spend time with the regional managers, people in our customer service department and just really everybody, because, you know, we, we all have different blind spots, but together we should have none. And we all have different perspectives. So whether we sit around the table across from each other, obviously you can see what's behind me and I can see what's behind you. So our perspectives are different, but really together, you know, we have all, we have 306 degrees peripheral and, and we shall be fine. Great. So, can you, can you mystery shop a store? Does everybody know who you are? I mean, this, uh, are yeah, you able? People know okay. who I am um, in, in Michigan and even Indiana. In the now, new markets. But, okay. Uh, but, you know, what I'll do is I'll walk in, you know, street clothes and, uh, you know, I'll say hi to the guys and I'll sit in the customer waiting room. Yeah. So observe and, and uh, listen. Take a conversation. I mean, pre-COVID now, but, um, you know, and have a conversation with a customer. Hey, how you doing? What are right. You doing? The team knows who you are, but no one else, the other people. No. And so, and so they know if I, if I'm talking to a customer and uh, what are you in for? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and usually, I'll, and then I'll maybe start asking a few more questions to where the customer is, you know, realizes I'm not, I'm not in for, for tire work. And, right. And, but it's just more of, hey, you know, I just, we want to know what can we do to be better? What brought you in today? Um, and, and most importantly, it was always thanking them for their business because, you know, we get the right to earn their business every day. And uh, just because we did, you know, you know, did their work last week or last year, uh, we got to fight for earn every day. You've gone back to that getting better, you know, that constant improvement, the Kiretsu, whatever, for yourself, anything that you've in the last couple of months, because maybe, you know, it's been a different environment that you've been, you know, taking on as a new project or working on or skill you're developing or. You know, the, the last few months, the, um, the focus has been really more of, I'll say kind of family time. Okay. Um, and, you know, trying to use the time really just to connect with kind of the whole family Good. and, um, you know, really try to use something that, you know, obviously very negative and, and very frustrating and discouraging and say, okay, um, with anything bad, you flip the coin over, you got opportunity. How, how do so, we make something out of this? Um, yeah. You know, I'm an, I'm an optimist by, uh, by fault. Uh, and so I said, okay, hey, this is something that a lot of people are looking at bad. How can we turn this and make it an opportunity? And, you know, it was a, a lot of family walks, a lot of family dinners together, a lot of time, you know, just connecting, having conversation, trying to limit screen time. Um, and not take the easy route on things, but really just focusing on, on connecting with the family. So really that's, that's really been the focus the last couple of months, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a learner. I love learning. Uh, went back to school, got my MBA a few years ago, but it's, uh, I think that the more that people can, you know, keep an open mind and really focus on learning, 
the more everyone real, more than one realizes like, wow, I really don't know everything that mm-hmm. I did. And, uh, and so it's just that, I, you know, I, I always try to, you know, make sure I can try to learn something new from anyone, any day. Uh, cause you never know when, uh, you know, where you can learn something. And so it's no, just that, that's mind on that. great, great, great advice. And kind of why doing this and what, what, um, you mentioned that, you know, time when you're younger swimming and the, the, the tiger talk was going on yeah. around the pool. How do you get away from the business and the family business when you choose to do so? So the uh, kind of my uh, what I like to, I'm, a, I'm a huge avid golfer, uh, okay. and so love to love to golf. Um, you know, have my uh, two daughters. You know, got them into golf. They're five and three, so getting them into that, um, and and just that. But really, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, it's always been part of. Uh, part of life. So when people talk about how do you escape it, how, you know, what's work-life balance look for you? For me, my whole life, it's never been work-life balance. It's just been my life. Right. So, um, you know, I know when I you need to maybe kind of shut it down and, and disconnect from a little bit, but uh, um, I just, I, I love, I love, what, I love our company. I love what I get to do every day. I love to be part of this team. Um, and so it's, it's not always work, work, right? Don't get me wrong. There are stressful days and there are times where we got to hunker down and get things done. But um, that, that, that disconnect or the, the whole idea of work-life balance, Sure. Um, you know, for me growing up in it, it's just always been part of my life. And, uh, yeah, and with that optimism, I mean, what is it that, that's, that's, that stresses you the most about business and, and life? You know, uh, that's a good question. And stress is relative. To, yes, to I would say, you know, stress is all relative. It's, um, I, I think that, and again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound, um, don't, don't want to you know, sound like, but I, I think I do a good job of, of kind of managing stress. I, I know what um, kind of my triggers are. And so when I see something maybe happening or know that, uh, I could be putting myself into a stressful situation, whether it be stuff's going on at work or different things. Um, just try to be more cognizant of those, of those meetings, of those types of scenarios. So um, I don't get stressed out. I don't get frustrated. Um, you know, kind of going back to your decision-making, uh, you know, question. I really try to remove, you know, I'll, I don't want to say emotion, but I really don't want to make, you know, uh, emotional decisions. Sure. Um, you know, want to, you know, want to be empathetic in the decision-making process, but really want to be clear headed and do it from a pure, I'll say kind of matter of fact type of approach. Um, and versus being reactive and emotional because anytime, I think you type be snap, snap decisions, snap judgments, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe sometimes it works out, but more times than not. So, uh, I focus less about the desired outcome and more about, what are the activities that, that I have to do that we as an organization have to do to get that desired outcome? Because uh, I know that there will be times where we won't have a tight process, but we get the desired outcome. That doesn't mean that it'll happen every time. And there'll be other times where we follow the process tight, we do all the right things. Desired outcome just didn't happen. I mean, again, I'm using the golf analogy because I'm a, I'm a, I love golf. Is uh, People that want to be a scratch golfer, waking up and wishing it doesn't happen. Right. Waking up and going to the range and, and hitting golf yeah. balls and chipping and you putting. Like, you like that process and the steps. You like that process. And, and so when you do that, that's how you go from, you know, a 20 to a 12 to a 2. It's and there are some days where, you know, you'll score really well um, and not hit the ball well. And other days you hit the ball really well, it just doesn't go in. So um, it's for me and, and really what we try to instill here is let's focus on the process. Let's focus on the decision making. And if we do that, we'll get the desired outcome that we want more times than not. Couple last questions for you. Outside of your industry, because you talk about consolidation, you've been a student of this industry, you live it. What other businesses or brands do you look at? And because you talked about being a learner as well and going to get the MBA. So what, what, other, what, are you, what other businesses, brands, categories do you look at for inspiration, guidance, curiosity? So the... Uh, um, you know, in our business, uh, and I say business, not entire business, but the retail industry. I mean, retail is detail. It's all about, I mean, anyone can get to 90%, maybe 95%, but that last 5 to 10%, that detail is what's going to uh, really kind of take uh, a brand over the edge. So really what I like to do is I like to focus on what I think are maybe some best in class in their spaces. So 
Um, you know, unfortunately, 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 I, I, I travel quite a bit sometimes. Um, and so I really admire what Delta Airlines does from, uh, how they, how they go about in, uh, in, in the whole process being an average traveler, I don't get anxious about it. But when you think about a, a normal travel traveler, um, travel is a stressful time. You know, there are plenty of times where people may travel maybe a few times in their life or maybe once a year. And there's always a fear of, when do I got to get to the airport on time? How long is the line going to be? You know, is my bag going to make weight? Am I going to get to the right gate? Uh, is the bag going to make it? Where, where do I go and get my bag? There's a lot of different things that happen in the traveling process that create angst. And, and one of the things that Delta Airlines does is that when you kind of get to the point where they've created angst, they now have, they use technology in a way to communicate to you to help kind of, de-escalate that so you don't sure. so you so you feel better so interesting you know we we, we use uh just experiencing that uh personally so hey how do we apply kind of what they did that process uh in a way that's going to be applicable to us and how do you and feel so, about their ceo's communication during this crisis Those you know i really emails that have been regular. yeah I, I think i think it's i think it's been good that um uh the communication's been out there um, and in, in the, whenever there's, whenever there's any type of fear or people are scared, um, you know, to me, that's when we have to communicate, you know, uh, as often and as most frequently and as, as, as much face to face as we can and, and being where, it, where we're trying to not see people face to face. Um, you know, we've been doing video messages throughout the week all day long and sharing updates on, on what's going on with the company and what we're doing because, I think it's important. I mean, the this call right now, Jamie, is, is happening way better via video conference than it would on the phone. Sure. And so being able to we've gotten uh, used to it and comfortable. Yeah, we got used to it. So yeah. being able to have kind of live streaming or being able to send out different video updates on information of just going what's on um, with it with the business will I think give people more certainty of okay, you know, they got it, right. <laughs> Uh, and in, in the absence of information, people will make it up themselves and we would rather yeah. tell our own story than someone, you know, kind of, you know, tell that. So you know, we look at, you know, again, I use Delta, they're, they're a great company and then, um, really try to look at hospitality, you know, the industry space. So, um, you know, look at best in class, look at four seasons, look at Ritz Carlton, um, in terms of a hospitality standpoint, but then, you know, one that I think we can all much appreciate and, and probably have all experience is Chick-fil-A. So you have a, you know, brick and mortar, um, uh, you know, restaurant, uh, the chicken sandwich is great, but you know, and, and really it's just a chicken sandwich, right? So, uh, the tires we sell are great, but really it's just a tire. It's the experience you have, um, and the level of empathy and connection you make with their team that I think makes the, the Chick-fil-A experience so great. So I, I'm, I'm heartened to hear those examples because, well, a lot of those are client styles of ours and, and the piece that's been missing and we'll get back to is the experience that's delivered, even though so, e-commerce retail has its own form. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. How can we look at, I'll say best practice in operations mm -hmm. that relieves angst? Cause we know that in our business, people don't buy tires every day. They maybe buy tires once in a lifetime or maybe every three, four years. Um, and because of that, people aren't educating themselves on tires, aren't educating themselves on, on their vehicle is they shouldn't. They should be able to rely on professional experts like us to be able to educate them so they make a better business decision. So, you know, kind of look at what are the best in class in, in different functions. So Delta, I'll say for more of an operations side and use of mm -hmm. technology on how it relieves angst in the whole travel process. So we've, we've implemented um, very similar things on how we communicate and how we can automate the, the communication process with customers once they started. Uh, once we start working on their vehicle, so they know when their vehicle will be done, who it's, who it's being worked on, the timing, is the picture. So it helps relieve that angst. And then from the whole experience side, the connection piece, because we've been talking about business, but really business is just a group of people. Uh, corporations is, is, is defined by a group of people working together. So you have people doing business with people. And so then you look at Chick-fil-A and you look at really the, how they connect with their customers, right? Or their guests. And, um, you know, we look at them from a best practices standpoint is, okay, how can we connect with, with, our, um, with our customers, our guests in a way um, that drives a great experience to where 
even though people may just be buying a chicken sandwich or just buying tires, uh, it's going to leave a memorable experience. Great. It's interesting how you picked every brand that was red, white, and blue as well. Uh, the, the, uh, what, last question. What, what would, yeah. What's the most fulfilling thing for you about this generational business and that, that both opportunity you have, the legacy that you're maintaining and building on? Just kind of um, reflecting really on that, that a little. Yeah, the thing that I'm most excited about um, is really is, it's, it's really the unknown, you know, it's, you know, we, we know we got a good business. We got, you know, amazing people working for us um, and, and wanting to do, you know, a great job and do a great job. We have, you know, amazing customers that come to see us that we just love seeing. It's really more of, you know, kind of what next, you know, we, we always talk about here at Bell is that every year we climb this mountain and when we get to what we think is the summit and um, we look down and say, wow, that was an amazing climb. But then we realize, wow, there's, we want to go up there. And so really for me, the, it's just keeping that climb going. It's the excitement of that unknown excitement of the climb um, and being able to see people continue to grow with us and do more and, and, and almost surprise themselves in what they can do. So being, being, being part of an organization that um, it, we're working towards and making this go on in perpetuity. So it's going on well beyond, uh, you know, my kids and, 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 and others kids. Um, that's what gives me excitement and joy is, uh, is working for an organization that I know is much bigger than myself, is much bigger than, than anyone. Um, but being able to, you know, leave a mark and just have a little bit of influence on that. Um, that's, that's, what's exciting. Uh, Don Bard's the third of president of Beltire. That That's wonderful. That, thank you for taking us on the climb with you. And, and I, I think you got, you know, I know you have a bunch of believers in your belief system. I'm, I'm one and I, I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks well, so Jamie, much. Well, Jamie, thanks for having me, and uh, it's been great talking this morning. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld at SMZ for helping make Generation Excellence, well, excellent. Until next time, I'm Jamie Michelson.